Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into an interview with indie director Cody Clark. What's this? What's this? It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What is this? What is this? Today I have a guest who is an indie-slash-low-budget filmmaker from New York, Cody Clark. Welcome, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Yeah, I, I recently heard you on another podcast, The Cinerealists, and wanted to check out your movie. Uh, we got in touch, and I got to see it, and uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, so you made Ramakin. Ramakin. Ramakin, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> It's um, fine. It it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it's a horror movie. Very, very low budget, micro, uber micro budget. You know, the most <laughs> adjectives you can put in front of micro budget as you want. Uh, that you say, uh, I believe you say you make made for $500? That's true, yeah. I um, Luckily, I had the equipment ahead of time. So it was all just, it was like a camera and lens and everything that, that I had um, from videography work. Mm-hmm. So I had that for years. And then really the only costs were um, props and catering and, uh, you know, travel and stuff like that. And the locations were all just free locations that I just kind of wrote to because I knew I could use them. Oh, and awesome. uh, the result is, yeah, that's a that's a $500 movie you saw. <laughs> yeah, that's very, like, it's super impressive to me. Uh, as someone who's never made a movie. Uh, and this is not the first movie you've made. You've done a couple other things before this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first two films were Shredder and Rehearsals. Shredder's a narrative and Rehearsals a documentary. Um, both of them were made for pretty small budgets, too. Uh, Shredder, I think, was like three grand because I was buying equipment at that point. And mm-hmm. uh, Rehearsals was... It was just all the equipment from Shredder, and there were no real costs since it was a pretty stripped-down documentary. So it only really cost me uh, MetroCard rides on the subway to get to the different locations. So that was probably like $50. Um, so, yeah, I try and make stuff very, very frugally. Um, I'm, very, I'm always very fascinated by like what I can do with very little. I think with limitations, you can kind of create stuff that you wouldn't have created otherwise. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree with that, and you know I I did a lot of writing in in school, and you know they they constantly wanted to try to press press you to think outside the box and try to find creative uh, ways to work around conventions that that are frequently seen when they kind of restrict you that way, and I think I, I've only seen Ramekin of the movies that you've made, but I think you did a lot of a lot of interesting things with such a small and tiny confined uh, budget and, and atmosphere and, and sort of location stuff. It was, yeah, man, I'm I'm glad it worked because like <laughs> it, even if it didn't work, like it's still a good philosophy. And like I hope like even people that don't like the movie, let's say, mm-hmm. like I hope they take away from it that like it can be done. It's kind of I would relate it to kind of like um, 
how Richard Linklater started out where he made the movie Slacker. Mm-hmm. And Slacker is a movie that like it's not necessarily for everybody, but it was very influential for a lot of directors um, because it kind of showed what you could do and how far you could go with like a small budget and very small, a very small kind of story that you were telling. It was very um, idiosyncratic and very um, unique, that film. And like, I know Kevin Smith, it was a big influence on him, even though his films aren't really like slacker per se. Um, But I just, I I like to, I like to do things that kind of transcend whatever the thing is, you know, that can appeal to people that even if they don't actually like it, there's like, they can like that I'm doing what I'm doing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they can they can appreciate the process behind it and what you've put into the film. And, um, you know, I like looking at IMDb for Ramekin, like you're credited pretty much in every single department of the film. You did a lot of that yourself and production, sound, effects, everything, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very interested in like a new idea of like what, film can be because if you think about film for like the past hundred years or so it's been very cost prohibitive to make a film so like the only people that were making films were people that had access to the funds or were being funded in some capacity or whatever it's never been a democratized medium it's only a very recent development in film that you could do everything and we could see what a film looks like when somebody's doing everything um and so for the next hundred years, we're probably going to be making, and when I say we, I mean just filmmakers in general, we're probably going to be making films closer to what I'm doing where you can do everything. You can be like kind of a jack of all trades wearing all hats, which isn't to say that like I want to put like cinematographers or editors or whoever else out of business. It's just that like, you know, when you, when you go to a museum and you look at a painting, you're looking at, uh, a singular person's vision and or if you listen to an album and maybe somebody recorded it themselves or whatever it may be there's so many other art forms where you can see just one person's complete total um vision every step of the way and uh with my films i pretty much do everything i mean i have production assistants that kind of grab stuff and maybe i'll say hey can you set that light up or something like that um, but it's kind of like a painter and a painter's assistant. That's kind of the the relationship that I work with when I'm making a film. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, yeah, it's something that I really believe in and want to see just as a viewer. Um, just like that interests me. That that like I love I love big films. Like I love huge productions. But I just also want to see. Um, how small film can get to the point where like we're seeing so such a specific and tiny uh view of the world um you know made by just one person because you can do it i mean you kind of have to you have to have the talent obviously like you have to know what you're doing like i'm not advocating like doing aspects of a film that you just don't know but if you can if you are the kind of person that wants to teach yourself it you can get to a certain level of um proficiency that you can kind of do it yeah are you with all those now with all those other different aspects of the film did you self-teach yourself all that did you have anybody helping you along that process way yeah that was i mean that was all me that was all just uh i've always been kind of an autodidact i've always been somebody who teaches themselves 
themselves whatever they want to learn. Um, I was never really interested in school. Like I, you know, it was kind of a thing that I tolerated for as long <laughs> as I had to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anything that like I really had an interest in, whether it be playing guitar or whatever else, and probably guitar was like a big catalyst for like once I got pretty good at guitar, like I realized, oh, I can do this, but whatever I want to learn in any area. Like it was kind of a big confidence boost um, in my early teens that I could do that. And then I kind of extrapolated that in my mind, like, oh, I can I can teach myself anything, I guess. So every, you know, every aspect of film I kind of picked up and taught myself and when I say taught myself, I don't mean like it happened in a vacuum. Like, you know, you watch YouTube videos or you watch a lot of films or you read books and you just kind of pick things up about lighting and uh, composition, etc. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's like it, I, I taught myself, but of course, I'm, you know, forever indebted to everything I learned from. Yeah. So now um, I... Uh, as someone who studied writing, you know, I, I heard a lot of the times coming through that system, you know, you got to read a lot to understand how to write. Mm. And does that trans like, do you watch a lot of movies to help yourself better understand the process behind making them? Yeah. When I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I worked at a video store um, oh, awesome. for many years. And I, I think that was like, that was basically my film school, um, you know, and I know uh, Tarantino, that was the same thing for him and a couple other directors, I think, were former uh, video clerks. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen a ton, a ton of movies. I, I kind of always like every week I'll, I'll still like I'll go to the library and I'll just grab whatever is new, like whether I've heard of it or not. And I'll just come home with like a stack of like 10 movies and I'll just work my way through them. And some of them I'll put on for like two minutes and be like, eh. <laughs> I'm not into this, but like I'll I'll discover like random things I never heard of um, because of that, and I'll fall in love with things that I never heard of, and like I just always keep my finger to the pulse of um, film, whether it be new film or like old stuff that's getting re-released or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty well versed at this point, but like you can always be more well versed. Like it's like once you think you you know it all then you're probably just like lying to yourself or whatever because there's so much in film to constantly explore. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I watch a ton of movies. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that the, that idea of like you got to read a lot to write. Um, it's the same with music. I mean, you got you to gotta draw from like not just whatever genre you're working in, but like every other genre musically. And it's the same for film too, I think. Awesome. And so, you know, when you're watching all these movies, uh, you said that you kind of use them to help yourself uh, develop your ability to like light things and, and frame shots, I'm, I'm assuming, and direct and kind of the whole package. Uh, but has that, and, and I've kind of noticed this the more I've kind of involved myself in the film industry as like a podcaster and things like that, but do you are you able to kind of detach yourself from that sort of director's hat you put on when you see a movie ever, or is it always something in the back of your mind like, oh, I wish that shot had been framed differently, or I wish this mm. advice had been given to such and such performer? You know, is that is that constantly playing on your mind when you're watching stuff? Well, that's that's a really interesting question. Um, I my kind of my wheelhouse, like my my happy place, so to speak, is 
the the space between um, the self awareness and the times where you forget. So, <laughs> an example I would I would use of that is like when I was a, when I was a really little kid, um, I was really into magic, and I loved I loved magicians. I loved magic tricks. I taught myself a ton of magic tricks from like big magic books, and like I was just I was really into that whole world, and I still am. I love I love magic. Um, but the thing that like I picked up on in learning magic was that like the magic of magic is the moments that you forget that you're watching magic. And it could be like a split second, but that's what that's the that's the moment you're you're really coming for. That's 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 why you're here is like those split moments where you forget. And so that was like a huge lesson for me, which. I didn't necessarily realize as a huge lesson at the time, but I started to see that in other um, art and other mediums as I grew up. So, I mean, when I was a kid and until like my teens or whatever, I, I wasn't into professional wrestling. And then I got really into professional wrestling and that that as well, just like with magic, you know, it's all quote unquote fake and you know, it's all rehearsed or choreographed or whatever. But it's about the moments when you forget where like, even though you know, 110% that, you know, what you're watching isn't necessarily real. It's about the moments that you forget. And that's what you come back for. And I think it's that way with film too. It's where, where like I can know every single aspect of like what it is to make a film, which isn't necessarily to say that I know what it's like to make somebody else's film because everybody's on their own journey when they make a film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I can obsess about every aspect. I can throw on a movie and be like, oh, that's lit wrong or, oh, the music's too low or that music sucks or what, whatever my complaint may be. It's about the moments where you forget and you forget that you're watching an actor and you forget that you're watching even a shot that was framed or a shot that was lit. It's just like these magical moments where you're just so in it. And sometimes you just get grabbed and you're in it for the whole film. And sometimes it's just a fleeting moment. But that's what you're always kind of chasing. It's like no matter how much you you know and are self-aware about the art that you're in taking, it's, it's about the moments where like you're just purely uh, accepting it and it's just coming into you. And that's that's the magical moment, I would say. OK, I, I definitely agree with that. It's it's a rare film that can really keep that moment for the entire runtime and you know films that can't do it it's it's so much you really notice the times that it can and yeah. and i think that's okay i think it's uh it's such a it's such a hard thing that like to to say that only good films can do that for its entire runtime or whatever it's like it's almost too limiting it's 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 just about the tiny little moments where it happens i would say yeah mhm so I'm, so then to kind of compare that to the stuff you've made, have you, is that ever on your mind making a film? Like when you were making Ramekin, were you ever thinking, you know, is there a way that you can choreograph something a little bit more so it might feel more natural, so it might be more inclusive to the viewer? You know, is that something you're thinking about at all? Um, yeah, when I'm making it, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm shooting it specifically, I'm kind of always chasing what the flavor is of that exact moment because what's on the page is is really just only like a blueprint or an outline or whatever. Even if it's like a full script that's in my hands and I'm like 
trying to get every line that's you know on there said so that I can move on to shooting the next scene, etc. It's like every every time you sit, well, you stand or you sit or whatever, and you're shooting something, you're beholden to whatever the energy is right then. And if you can, if it works to capture it, you kind of have to like put what you thought it would be like aside and just have it be what it needs to be and i think in preserving those moments you can kind of create something that like maybe somebody at home watching it isn't necessarily going to pick up on it as like transcendent or like hyper real or whatever but um those moments that can be like a great way to i guess access you know how much you can do with film or whatever. I think I think being true to the moment, uh, whether you're an actor, whether you're a filmmaker or whatever, that's what you should always really strive for. And then if it works in the context of the film, if it's not like being true to the moment at the cost of everything else, if it if it like if it's being true to the moment in line with something that could work with what you're trying to capture as far as the film, then it's like the greatest thing ever. So it's like you always kind of have to like strive for that it's like the script is in the back seat and then like in the driver's seat it has to be like just the moment and like the energy of like what you're doing and like you just capture those real moments um even in something that's like you know as silly and goosebumpsy as like a movie about a ramekin that's just like sliding around and like all that stuff yeah yeah uh and so you know speaking you know the ramekin sliding around like those were some of the most uh, effective moments watching the film that really drew me in like every time the camera just lingered on the ramekin and I just was so caught up in like is it gonna slide or not uh, you know and the yeah. I think the biggest thing about those moments was the sound of the the bowl sliding across the table or desk or, or shelf and I think that was the most I don't know. That felt like the most pivotal part of the film is making that those that little moment work in the context yeah. of the. And that was probably the hardest as far as editing. Um, you know, those those moments where like she's talking to the little porcelain cup or dish or whatever you want to call it, the ramekin. For those of you at home who don't know what a ramekin is, um, yeah, it's about a, it's a movie about a girl talking to. Uh, you know, a little porcelain dish and it slowly controlling her life and controlling her. And, uh, the hardest stuff in the film to edit was definitely just like her talking to it because it's like, theoretically you could stay on, on a shot of just a ramekin not moving for a really long time, or you could do it really short, you know, just as far as editing and pacing, like it's, it's all up to you, whoever you are, you know, in the editing booth, like you, you dictate the pace of the film it's a lot harder to dictate the pace of a film when it's just a person talking to an inanimate object than it is when it's a person talking to a person because, you know, the two actors, they'll create their own pace and you're just trying to capture that or you're trying to correct where, like, the pace was a little bit off or whatever it is. Like, it's it's very fine-tuning. It's just, like, a you know, a little bit here and there. But, like, when somebody's talking to an inanimate object, you're it's basically from scratch. Like you, you could do whatever you want with it. So that took a really, really long time. That took like probably months to get all the editing as far as like her just talking to the ramekin. Perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
so, so did you end up with like I don't I don't know hours of just footage of the ramekin on the table? I guess so. Yeah, I think uh I mean I don't want to think about it because like it's just like oh man all that time like I spent on that like but yeah I I would say that's probably accurate <laughs> and like I to think of like all the hours just staring at like those scenes of her talking to the ramekin and, and thinking to myself does this need to be like a couple frames longer does this need to be a couple frames shorter like what's the sweet spot and you just keep coming back to it you you know you do a little editing and then you step away from it so you can see it with fresh eyes and then you come back to it and then you see how it feels or you show it to other people or what, whatever you know you need to do to like see it fresh and objectively and not be seeing it as a person who's looked at it like a hundred times you kind of have to like turn off your brain or whatever and see if it works and yeah that, that took a really really long time uh, so kind of to get more into that editing process if it's not too traumatic um <laughs> so i i you know people always talk about stuff that got left on the cutting room floor and i mean i'm sure you've seen trailers for movies and then when you see the real movie there's a lot of footage from the trailer that didn't make it into the final cut oh yeah the one of those i always think of is um robin hood men in tights there's like I, when i was a little kid like there was some trailer or teaser or whatever where like he shoots an arrow and it like splits a tree in half or something I, it was like the coolest thing i ever saw as a kid and then like you watch the movie that never happens and like i've never seen a deleted scene of it it was probably just a thing that they cut just for the trailer or the teaser or whatever mm -hmm. but it was like i was like my favorite thing like i was i was obsessed <laughs> with like those few seconds of him just like shooting an arrow and like the tree splitting in half and like <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, I've seen it a ton of times. You're totally right. It, it happens, like, a lot. But that one's always going to be traumatic for me. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, with Ramekin, is there, you know, how much excess, I guess would be the term, did you end up shooting that, like, as as far as, like, whole scenes? Are there is there a lot of stuff that never made it into the final movie? Um, what you see is pretty much it, except like I, I, I guess I cut like certain just lines of dialogue here and there just because they felt unnecessary or they were just, um, you know, they just were ruining, ruining the pace. Like a lot of the stuff like you cut when you're making a film, it's not that it's wrong per se or it's not that that's a mistake. It's just that it's like it doesn't serve the purpose it needs to purpose. It doesn't serve the purpose it needs to serve. Uh, at that stage anymore like something that can be useful when you're when you write a script and can be useful for the actors or whatever sometimes you get into the editing room and then you realize well that's not necessarily useful for uh the audience member you know maybe maybe the actor got across what i needed to get what i needed to get across uh with dialogue at the script stage maybe they got it across just with a look or something like Maybe the line wasn't even necessary. So it's, it would be stuff like that where, like, I would say I cut, like, between five and ten lines just out of the film um, just because they they were reiterating something or just or they just didn't need to be there anymore. But as far as scenes or anything like that, uh, everything you see is, is basically there. Oh, that's good. I, I mean, that's that's got to be a relief as far as, like, I didn't not not necessarily waste the time but just devote so much time to something that ultimately missed out on the final product 
Is that yeah? It's uh, yeah, I mean, it's from writing it to making it to everything. It's like it's everything I wanted it to be and more. Like um, it's probably and more because just you know all the actors bringing everything to life. Like that steps things up like tremendously. Um, but I had a very small idea for a film and like I executed it exactly how I wanted to execute it. So like that was all great and everything. Like I, I would say the only like stressful part of any of it was just the editing room, which I just obsessed over. It was because, I mean, I think it was probably because it was my third film and it was like the first film I'd made in like several years, like maybe like four or five years. Mm-hmm. So like I, it was kind of my first film again. And like I, I couldn't come out with something that was like less than whatever my idea of perfect was. Like it had to be like just a, you know, you couldn't even get like a fucking piece of paper through the cracks of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it just mm-hmm. had to be so solid because I was like coming back from like not doing it for a while. Like I, I guess I probably my next one won't take me as long as in the, ed- and uh, won't take me as long in the editing room with, but like, this one, it was just like, it was kind of a nightmare editing it, but like, I'm obviously it's all just, you know, for the best of it, you know, right at the end of the day, I'm so proud of it. So it was all for a reason, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it really came out very nicely. Uh, and to, so you mentioned, uh, you know, wanting it to be at least, if not better than what your idea of perfect for the particular subject matter plot idea that you had was do you ever this is something i've always thought about you know if i were ever to make a movie i watch so many i I compare them against each other i rate them all the time i don't know how i would ever be able to rate something i made against like the wealth of films being released by everybody else do you ever compare what you've made to something somebody else has made yeah, I mean, I usually I usually think my stuff is better. I think, but I think that's I think that's what everybody feels deep down, whether they they'll say it on a podcast or not. Like, right? You know, a lot of the stuff I see, you know, you can see bad stuff and be just as like inspired and motivated from it as like good stuff. Like, I think to make a good film, you kind of have to see a lot of bad films, not just good films. You know, you if right. you want to be a filmmaker, you shouldn't just be watching Citizen Kane and like. <laughs> like whatever the greatest films of all time, like you would make like just a horrible movie. Like if, if all you watched was like just great stuff, you would, you would make like a lot of mistakes that like everybody else has made when they make something that just doesn't come together because you just wouldn't, you wouldn't know about what can go wrong. It, it, it's, it's almost like you'd be like living on a commune or something and you wouldn't know what the outside world is like. And then, you know, one day you're just in the outside world and you're just kind of beholden to all the worst elements of like what it is to live free and like live in the world. Um, yeah, you got to see a lot of bad stuff. So that that's just a part of it. And like you got to recognize what makes something bad per se, like something something weird isn't necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. Um, something something you haven't seen before isn't necessarily bad. Like you kind of have to build your barometer for what bad is like to me bad is like just lighting where like i know if they lit it just like slightly different it would have been like light years better or like composition that's just arbitrary that just doesn't serve 
what you're doing or the wrong lenses or the the camera's all shaky for no reason or just kind of missteps where like uh, it just would have been so much better if they'd just done a couple things different or like when when I start watching a movie and like the the score like is so stock and so boring and stupid and it's just like you can't take it seriously because you know that they didn't take it seriously stuff like that like really bugs me and gets to me is like when people cut corners because I know what it is to like make something mm-hmm. when I see somebody cutting corners with it like it really bugs me um, and there obviously there are ways to cut corners intentionally just as like a winking uh, self-aware way like that's that's a whole you know realm of cinema too and that that has merit as well but I'm I just mean like you know, when you're watching something and you just know that um, not enough attention was put in, that that's something that I would say really uh, irks me. But like just in general, like as far as like the films I make and then the films I see that get praised or whatever, like I think, you know, what I do like as far as cinematography and lighting and like acting and stories that I'm telling and everything, like I, I think like on paper like or or whatever, like I should be you know, a pretty known filmmaker or whatever. But when you when you are that and then you realize, oh, that's this isn't a meritocracy, then you kind of like it, it's pretty eye opening. Like it's you just realize that it's not um, it's not it's not like uh, being an athlete or being like the fastest runner and like or anything like that. It's just like it, it's a totally different beast, like the whole Hollywood machine or or fame or, or, you know, making money off your stuff or whatever. Like, it's just all it has nothing to do with, like, how good you are necessarily. It's like if people don't know you exist, it's just because they don't know you exist. And that's fine, too. Um, yeah. So that's something I've dealt with is like I always like every stage of like my filmmaking career, I felt like I should have been like more praised than I have been which isn't to say that like I was like hated or anything it's just that I would think that like I would be more known about um but and I think that's a, that's you know something a lot of people deal with I mean I for an, for example like I remember Sean Baker who who directed Florida Project which um I don't know if you've seen that yet yeah have you yep did you did you enjoy that one yeah I thought it was very good yeah, that's I mean, that's obviously that's like a huge movie. And he did Tangerine like uh, mm-hmm. before that. I remember when he was trying to make um, his movie Starlet, which he did before Tangerine. Right. Um, and he he had like a Kickstarter where he was trying to raise like 50 grand just so he could finish like making the movie. And like Sean Baker, he's he's one of those filmmakers that I really, really looked up to. And I really, really dig. Um, I, I've I've loved all his films from like way back to like his early stuff like Takeout and uh Prince of Broadway. Um he's a, he's a wonderful filmmaker and like to me he's like he he's the guy that I would want to be in the position of um like if I were to be like oh where would I want to be in independent cinema I would be like oh I would want to be like a Sean Baker where like I can work with some name actors and I have somewhat of a budget etc you know like and I'm making films that were kind of what I want to make, et cetera. Um, and like he was trying to raise 50 grand just to finish his, his film. And he's, he'd already been pretty established at that point. Like he was kind of a name as an independent filmmaker. And like, he got like 
maybe a hundred dollars or like a thousand dollars or whatever on the Kickstarter. And then he ended up like taking it down and stuff. And it was just like, it was so like depressing and like sad for me because it was like, it, it made me realize that like everybody deals with this at some, in, in some capacity, everybody's going through like, you know, you know what you're doing is great, but you aren't necessarily getting um, the full recognition that you would want for your work or you're like, you're not at the stage where you would like to be. And once you understand that that's just universal and that's just going to happen like at any stage, whether you're Spielberg or you're Sean Baker or you're me or whatever, then you kind of just let go of it and you just kind of make your own stuff. Like, like I'll gripe about not being known about, but like it's it's very it's kind of tongue in cheek because like I, at the end of the day, I don't care because I'm just <laughs> making what I'm making and I'm happy making what I'm making. Yeah, it. it- as much as it would benefit your career and perhaps uh, accelerate the trajectory of it, you know, you're still not, it's not as though you, you can't continue to make the thing, things you want to make, you know, when a movie costs $500,000 or so. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm where I need to be for a reason. Like I'm, I'm not to put like a divine like tinge to it or, or whatever, but like I'm kind of, I have to be this guy right now and I won't always have to be this guy. Like maybe one day, like I'll have just like private benefactors that'll, <laughs> you know, cut me a check for like a hundred grand to like make a ton of movies or, or whatever it is. Mm. Like it's, it's a struggle for me. And it's also like, it, it's kind of what film needs. Like film needs like somebody like me who, who has talent and is also um, working with a very small budget and it's just kind of like showing people what can be done. It's like, that's just the stage I'm in right now, you know, yeah. and I'm sure like one day maybe I'll just be like a George Lucas or something where everybody like hates on me and like, you know, is so sick of me like that. You know, you, you never know when that could happen. Like, um, like that dude, uh, Colin Trevorrow or whatever that was just right. like, he was right. just a small guy. And then all of a sudden he's making Jurassic World and all that stuff. It's like, you ne- you honestly never know, um, what anybody's trajectory is going to be. So it's like th- this, I mean, this podcast could be so funny in like a couple of years, <laughs> like for all I know, for all I know, people could be listening and be like, oh man, can you believe like you had no idea and all that stuff, <laughs> you know? So I just, I'm, I'm never like, I'm not resigned to this as my fate. And if it is my fate, like that's totally fine. Like I'll, I'll just make $500 or $1,000 movies for like the rest of my life. That's totally cool. Hmm. Like I'm happy with what I'm doing. But I'm not resigned to it as like a permanent thing that I'll always have to deal with necessarily because um, right. it's, it's it's freeing and it's awesome and it's weird and it's great. But it's also at the end of the day, it can be very frustrating, like because you're trying to like, you know, make a fire with two sticks and it's just not as easy as like if you have like a lighter or something like that, you know. Exactly. So would you would you be open to the uh, to the call like Trevin? Colin Trevorrow got you know if they tapped you to I don't know revive the next big blockbuster franchise are you totally on board for that yeah I mean it's 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 all about like obviously like there's so much nuance to it where like there's a lot that would mean that you would say yes and a lot that would mean that you say no that just you wouldn't find out until you were in the room with like the actual guys like talking about the project and stuff like there's there's obviously deal breakers and stuff of that nature but like i would always take that call i would always like you know answer that call i think everybody would it's just Mm -hmm. about like 
you know, what are you signing? What is it a devil's contract or is it something where like you can get out of it? Okay. Cause like, I remember even like there was, this was like years ago or something. There was like push for like, I forget who it was. It might've been Lexi Alexander or, uh, I forget who it was. Somebody was like, people were like clamoring for like a female director to direct wonder woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everybody was like clamoring for her. And then like she kind of had to like come out on Twitter and be like, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't really necessarily want to do that. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> like that's, right. A, that's not something I would necessarily want to do. Um, and it's like I, I think it's easy for like fans and like audience members and quote unquote civilians or whatever to kind of be like, oh, wouldn't it be great if so and so did so and so? It's like, yeah, let's put something together. Let's get that to happen. <laughs> and it's like you're never really talking to so and so and you never really understand what so-and-so requires or needs in order to be creative or be um, the best them they can be. Like, I think, um, you know, a lot of what would, what would get in the way of me being a Colin Trevorrow or whatever is that like the union system of filmmaking is a very different way of making a film than me just, you know, with my camera dicking around and like, um, being able to do everything like you, you literally are prohibited from doing everything when you make a big um, film, not just because people are like nervous that you won't know what you're doing, just because the entire industry is built on like we need X amount of people on set. It just has to be this way. It's like even if they're not doing anything, they just have to be there. Like we have to employ these people. We have to pay them X amount. You know, all these all these things that need to happen because of the, the unions and the studio system. Um, I don't think I would necessarily be able to make a movie like Ramekin in a studio system for that reason. For that reason, you know, it kind of reminds me of. Um, uh, are you familiar with Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick film? Yes. Yes. Um, Nestor Almendros, the cinematographer for that, um, he kind of pissed like all the unions that were working on the film off because when he would show up on set, I mean, and that's a, that's a film that's notorious for like some of the best cinematography and lighting and, and yeah. that you'll ever see in, in film. And they hated him, like all the, you know, the, the crew guys and everything, because he would, he would come there and like, they would set up like all the lights and everything. And he would just be like, can you take that down? Can you take that down? Can you take that down? Cause he just wanted to use natural lighting and he knew what he was doing and everything. And like, they all hated him. And like, they, they, they thought he was like, crazy and like they didn't understand how how a film could even be lit in the way that he wanted to light it because they just knew their way of doing it etc um but like you're kind of the more idiosyncratic you are and the more um more the more you know what you're doing in a way that isn't aligned with the way things were done or have been done or whatever the more you're going to run into problems i think when you're when you're in any sort of studio or uh, you could call it corporate uh, environment as far as like making films. Um, So it would have to be like, it would be a different me doing a different thing and whether that would be successful or not. Like I have no clue and I don't think anybody else could have a clue. And like either it would be like a big hit, like, uh, um, you know, I think I think The Last Jedi, like even though people a lot of people didn't like it, like it was kind of it's kind of agreed that that was like a hit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or it could be like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan doing Avatar Last Airbender or something <laughs> like it could be 
Yeah. It could be just an incompatibility that, you know, obviously there's nothing necessarily wrong with M. Night. He can make great films and there's nothing necessarily wrong with the story he was using because it was a, it, it was a hot property and everybody loved it or whatever. And then it just you put those two things together and it just doesn't work because he can't really do what he needs to do. And mm-hmm. it's just a wrong fit. So. Yeah, you know, I, I, I have no idea like uh, <laughs> whether it would work or not, but like, I would answer the call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and speaking to that, like I, I can I couldn't even count how many movies that I've seen and I've heard people talk about, like in the sense of being, you know, like, well, it had it had all the right pieces. Why didn't it work? And, yeah. You know, the best. I think a lot of times things don't work because they have all the right pieces. I think. Part of ingenuity and being clever and stuff is like making something from nothing. It's like the the scene in Apollo 13. I mean, I always think about the scene where it's like the scientist comes into like the room of like all scientists and there's like a table like full of just like random like gear and stuff. And they're like a guy like picks up a thing. and He's like, all right, we need to make uh, a whole we need to make this fit into this. (laughs) <laughs> the hole for this using nothing but that and it's mm-hmm. like all right and it's just like this impossible task that they have to do and like i think that's where like the great stuff comes from sometimes like it has to be kind of impossible to do what yeah. you're doing in order for you to solve it and like make it possible mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of truth to that definitely uh and so um kind of to transition a little bit uh blockbusters and that kind of stuff it of all the you know you saying that uh, you, you said that um you know you you kind of think of your own stuff as you know better than the uh, presumably the vast majority of the things you see just because you're able to tweak it to the exact thing you want it to be right um is there something you didn't make um that you really wish you'd been able like if 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 you had if it was your name in the directed by line you know is that like that would be the most prestigious you know most proud thing you would ever have worked on um you know that's a good question there's a lot of properties that i'm just fans of a fan of like i love star wars stuff i love um you know, they're, they're big, like I would say Terminator, like I would love to do like a Terminator film, especially mm-hmm. because like, I think like they're kind of just throwing stuff at the wall. Like they don't <laughs> necessarily know what a, a Terminator sequel without James Cameron should be. So like everybody's kind of just taking their turn, like seeing if something might work in this direction or that direction or whatever. Like right. I kind of love that. I would kind of love to, um, especially work on like maybe like a Friday the 13th film or something like that. Like, I think that like that kind of thing where like in theory um, it's by the books, but if you kind of do it in an interesting way, you can, you can explore it in a way that nobody else has. It's like usually like things that people think are just uh all the same or whatever like if you really look in it like it's all kind of separate and its own thing like i i always assumed that the friday the 13th movies were like all the same and just all kind of like the same movie over and over and over again yeah he Mm -hmm. you know he comes out he kills people but like you if you watch all those movies individually there's kind of some nuance to each and every one of them um whether they're good or not they're kind of a little bit their own thing um 
so I kind of would I would kind of like to be like one of those guys who makes like the seventh movie in some random <laughs> franchise or like whatever it is just because like I think also I think you get away with more if people don't care necessarily what the film is they just want it to exist like if somebody is just like we just need an eighth film in this franchise here's this amount of money let us know when it's done you know like right, i right. i like that kind of like freedom where like it's like oh i can just make whatever the how i want and just like they'll put it out you know and they're not breathing down my back because it's not like a pressured thing like this is the new jurassic park it has to be really really good so we're going to micromanage it and basically micromanage it to the point where like you can't even make the film you want to make you know mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's probably what happened with Jurassic World is like because that was such such a uh, like it had to hit or whatever. There was a lot of studio interference, I'm sure. Like there would don't there would have to be like knowing yeah. studios there would have to be, um, you know, I, I would rather work on like, like I said, Friday the 13th, like 14 or whatever. <laughs> then I would then I would want to work on like a new Jurassic Park or something. So I think like the sweet spot of that would probably be a Terminator film where like they just don't care at this point. Right. <laughs> like they, just, you... they stopped caring a while ago. They're just kind of like, all right, we'll try it. You know, <laughs> that, like that's the th even though I don't appreciate like the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever we're at films of like the Terminator series. I just love that. Like there's a very palpable energy of like, yeah, sure. I, I guess <laughs> go for it. You know, <laughs> like. Whether you're, you know, you're Mick G or you're whoever else making it, like they're just kind of like, all right, go for it. You know, <laughs> it's like we don't know what another Terminator movie would be like. And so it's not yeah. something that people are like really <laughs> clamoring for hugely because they're kind of satisfied by the, the good ones of Brandish Drives. You know, like right. I just I kind of like that energy. That's yeah, I agree. So uh, so to that is like, is there you mentioned like the Friday 13th and and. Uh, you you Ramekin was a horror movie to some degree scary movie thriller that area is there a different genre you're like hoping to get tackled next um or anything um, like that I mean I really I would really like to do a martial arts film and okay. um that's that's something that I kind of want to do at a low budget that's something like I might do in the next couple of years cuz I I have a friend of mine who who's this beautiful, beautiful woman who also happens to be a really good martial artist. And she's totally down and she's like, yeah, if you write it, I'll do it and all that. Um, so that, that would be amazing. But the problem is like, I would just, I, I would re be really worried about anybody getting hurt. Like whatsoever. Like I don't want people to suffer for, um, my art. Like I'm fine suffering for my own art. But when right. it comes to other people suffering from my art, I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't want anybody to get hurt. Like, yeah. even yeah. the action stuff in, like, Ramekin, everything was very, very safe for the actors. And right. then, like, in post, I was, like, putting myself through, like, hell just to get the sounds right for, like, the sound effects of, like, any violence in the film whatsoever or, like... <laughs> If people fall or whatever, it's literally me falling. Like I, I made myself <laughs> black and blue because I wanted it to be even if only I knew it was real. I wanted it to be 100 percent real. Everything you heard um, in any of those moments. So I was like Jackie Channing myself, you know, <laughs> in sound effects 
um, making myself black and blue and sore and all that and just hurting myself just to get the sounds of like somebody falling on the floor, etc. Um, so it's like I'm more than happy to do it with my my own body or whatever. But like the thought of anybody getting hurt on any one of my films is like I, I, it just scares me like that. Would, that You know, people are like always asking like horror, horror filmmakers like what scares you? You know, you're a horror <laughs> filmmaker. What scares you? It's like, honestly, what scares me is like anybody getting hurt making anything that I made. <laughs> I would just mm-hmm. feel so guilty and awful. Yeah. I, but that's I my imagine. only trepidation as far as making a martial arts movie, even though I'd love to. Mm-hmm. That, it would probably require, you know, a lot, lot more safety measures, which means a much bigger budget and more people probably to keep, oh, keep yeah. all that stuff in check. You know, that's a yeah. much bigger undertaking. Um, so then... Then outside of that, is there a genre in particular that you're kind of afraid of tackling for any in, as in maybe insofar as saying like you're not sure you could do just justice to it or um, probably Western, even though I like I like Western films, um, you know, and even, even probably in recent years, I kind of got more into them than I ever was um, just because it wasn't really a genre that I'd, I was well versed in or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I wouldn't. I don't know that landscape and I, I don't know that I could do it justice without outside help. Um, right. and because at this point in my career, like I'm just focusing on stuff I can do everything on. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to do a Western, I would definitely need a lot more. Like it would be more of a collaborative thing than it would be just my own thing. Like I would need somebody to shoot those mountains and find <laughs> those locations that like really knew what they were doing, which isn't to say that like, a Western made by somebody who's never been out West and doesn't really know those kind of, cause I'm like, I'm a Brooklyn kid. Like I'm, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And that's what I know. I can make a Brooklyn film. I can't make like, you know, unforgiven or whatever. That's just not in me right now. You know, Mm. and I've never been out there. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) I've never ridden the horse. You know, I don't, it's not my, my wheelhouse. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, probably not want to do that and also anything like kind of um with a lot of like green screen cgi sci-fi stuff like that like i love science fiction but i like a more stripped down ramekin version of science fiction like i the, my next film or whichever one it is because like uh, i have a couple like ready to go that i'm working on at the same time but one of them is a sci-fi film that's like it's kind of like talking about the sci-fi rather than like showing it full out. So I would, I would be kind of like wary of a film where I had to like show the sci-fi to like a huge extent, like with spaceships and monsters and this, that and the other, like that would just be kind of, um, it'd be, it'd be too daunting for me. Um, but I would probably like, I could trust myself to like correct somebody else's, work in that regard mm. like you know that the the cloverfield paradox when i like i saw that like i i i, I didn't really like it the third mm-hmm. cloverfield movie and i felt like if somebody had like called me up at like 3 a.m and been like <laughs> hey man can you just come over and just look at this film before we send it out like and just like you know change a little bit around with it or give us notes or whatever 
Like I, I think I could have turned that movie into a pretty good movie. Like I think with just little tiny things here and there, just very little, you know, brush strokes or taking something out and putting something a little different or whatever. Sure. Like I think that could have been a lot better. So I would trust myself as far as like tweaking a, a big sci-fi movie or tweaking a Western or I can tweak pretty much everything. But as far as like just doing it all, those would be uh, areas where I don't, I wouldn't really trust myself at this point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so you mentioned uh, you've got a couple new stuff, new projects coming down the pipeline. And uh, I believe you're still kind of trying to wrap up Ramekin as far as like getting a distributor. Is that right? Yeah, we're we're looking at a couple uh, distribution places right now. Um, you know, everything's kind of up in the air. We're still hearing back from some festivals that we'll probably be in at some point. Um, so it's it's all it's all on that stage where like we're talking about a film that people can't necessarily see per se. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just like it, this is like the most annoying part, and that's kind of why I'm working on a lot of different projects right now, just kind of keeping myself going is because you can get into the stagnant place where you're just trying to sell the same film for like two years or whatever, sometimes finding yeah. it the right home or whatever. And then you, that's two years of your life. You weren't making something. So I'm, I've, I'm working like on five different projects right now, just cause I, oh, I have to, I have to, like I got to <laughs> keep going and whichever is the one that is going to be the next one will just be the next one. And then the one after that later on, et cetera, like it'll just, I'll just keep going from there. But I'm I'm actively working bit by bit on like each of them and just getting them ready for uh, whatever will be the next one, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then so just to kind of touch on that uh on on Ramekin and like putting it in festivals, uh you're doing that through Indiegogo. You're like kind of crowdfunding the the fees for that, right? Yeah, we um we have a campaign right now on Indiegogo. Uh basically people can see the film, they're just going to see like a screener link of it. So if right. somebody donates 20 bucks to us, they get access to the screener that we send out to critics like yourself or mm-hmm. film festivals, etc. Um, you get to see that just like you're you're one of those people, um, and that's for twenty bucks. And the reason why it has to be twenty bucks is that festival fees are like way more than twenty bucks. Sometimes <laughs> festival fees are like ninety or a hundred dollars. Oh wow! And that really, you know, when when you make a film for five hundred dollars, you you're spending more than what you spend on the film, just trying to get people to see the film and like festivals, etc. So like we're trying to recoup the costs of like submitting it to festivals and getting it out there. Um, so it kind of, it's like, obviously when it's like, when it comes out officially, like on DVD or on demand or whatever, it's not going to be 20 bucks. It'll be an amount that makes sense, you know, (laughs) but right now it needs to be 20 bucks for people to see it just because we need that or more just to get it out there. Um, that's just the nature of the business. That I wish all festivals were free because I think a lot more good stuff would get in festivals if there wasn't any any um, barrier whatsoever. But festivals need to fund themselves like anybody else does, so it's just kind of nature of the beast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's you know people can people can go to that and check out the trailer and find out about the film and uh, see if they want to give me twenty bucks. And I think <laughs> they should. I think you know if you're gonna I, spend twenty bucks on something, might as well send it to me. 
<laughs> I I agree. I'll I'll add a link to the Indiegogo site in the in the show notes, um, as well as your own personal site, which I think has like links to the other fi- uh, to um, Shredder and rehearsals as well. Yeah, those uh, you can you can find all those on CodyClark.com, um, yep. and also you know my other films are on Amazon, they're on DVD, and. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of books that I've written as well, and you can find out all about those on that site as well. Okay, awesome. Uh, so these five projects you're working on right now, how much about any of them are you able to kind of disclose at this point? Um, I can kind of talk about them without talking about them, and but <laughs> people will be satisfied anyway, I promise. Okay, <laughs> like, okay, okay. I, I won't give away anything that's like to you know, juicy or whatever, but I'll, I'll wet people's palates or, or whatnot. All right. That All right good. So obviously I'm working on a sequel to Ramekin because it's a horror movie and every horror movie needs a sequel. Right. So, um, <laughs> so one of those is definitely a sequel to Ramekin called Ramekins. Um, okay. I'm I going like the alien aliens route mm-hmm. with it. Um, where in this next one, there's a ton of Ramekins <laughs> and, um, I would liken it to uh, Gremlins 2, where like that was a more meta, self-aware version of the first film. Um, so I would it, I would put it in that category of horror sequels, where it's like it's definitely self-referential and like weird. Um, and I'm but I'm doing something with it that hasn't really ever been done before. Um, I would say the the closest horror has ever come to what I'm trying to do with the Ramekin sequel would be uh, Wes Craven's uh, movie New Nightmare which was a sequel to you know the Freddy movies and it was kind of about making a Freddy movie kind of um, interesting that's kind of that's kind of the direction I'm going with uh, Ramekin's but it's it's way different and way better I think. <laughs> I, I don't really like I New so. Nightmare, but I like the idea of New Nightmare, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, so uh, the, the, the lead in Ramekin is uh, Jamie Saunders, mm-hmm. and she's in the sequel. Is that oh, right? yeah, yeah. All I right. would I wouldn't Good. dream of doing it without her. She's First of all, she's a dream to work with. She's the greatest. She's awesome. I, I adore her. I would make 100 movies with her. <laughs> We had a we had an absolute blast. She was a total stranger coming into the project, and we just clicked, and magic happened. And um, so I I would never make a, a Ramekin sequel without her. Like that would just be, I I would just I would never do that. So yeah, she's she's back, and like a lot of the the rest of the cast are back too. And like um, we're just we're we're going. Uh, a really crazy direction with it. I'm in it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> basically playing myself in it. I'm playing Cody Clark in it. Okay. So like I said, we're going very self-referential and very meta with it. Um, but it works. I promise it'll work. It's not going to be zany and stupid. It's going to be awesome. Does that, uh, does that at all, uh, conflict with the first Ramekin where you played, uh, one of the like kind of like extras essentially, uh, at least are credited with that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it kind of conflicts and doesn't conflict at the same time. Like it's okay. obviously that's another that's another me. I guess that's like a I'm playing somebody. I'm playing a nameless character, you know. But 
Right. You no, know, it, it's I'm I'm definitely playing a separate me than that guy, whoever the hell that guy was, you know, because he didn't really have a name. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, in the sequel, I'm actually playing me. All so right. it's a different guy than that guy, even though it's the same <laughs> actor. It's like, yeah. All right, cool. I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited. Yeah, it's uh, it, it really it's one of those films that like goes hand in hand with the first like i would say i would say like kind of like hostile and hostile part two they kind of mm-hmm. like they go together so like they're like intertwined almost like it's like um they tell like a bigger story i would say i would say it's kind of like that where like you can watch ramekin and enjoy it and like have a great time or you could watch ramekins too and have a great time but like if you watch both you get a, a whole complete story in a way that you wouldn't just with one of the two parts, I would say. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so else? another project I'm working on um, is, it's kind of like a rom drum, uh, which is a sci-fi film, kind of, and it, it's, it's kind of like a very relevant, like, thing about, like, social media and uh, Facebook and Google and all that kind of surveillance and, stuff like that and i'm i'm like almost done writing it mm-hmm. and it's cast and i'm i'm like ready to shoot it basically but i don't know necessarily if it's going to be the next specific thing i shoot or whatever like that's all up in the air right. but it's um i would say if people like the show black mirror um oh, yeah this is my black mirror i would say like this is the cody clark wrote directed uh, episode or whatever that's that's how i would explain it okay. um, and i'm not even a big fan of black mirror like i i like the idea of it more than i like it in in it's whatever it is or you know it's finished thing or whatever like i just like the idea of the show existing more than i like the individual episodes if that makes sense um but yeah, for fans of the show, they'll definitely like this. Um, even though I don't like the show, <laughs> it's like it's like they'll be happy and I'll be happy and we're, we'll both be happy and we just won't talk about the fact that I don't like the show per se, but we'll just bond on them liking my thing. Right, so it's, right. it's like that kind of near future sci-fi, I would say. Um, okay. And it's like Ramekin, it's very stripped down and it'll be like 70 minutes and it's mostly just two actors in, in that film it's like a date in the near future and what a date in the near future might be like I would that's how I would describe it oh cool it sounds interesting I'm, yeah my interest um, is peaked <laughs> yeah and then what did I say like three I guess three more projects um, there's a documentary I'm working on that I can't really talk about um, but it's just like a a thing I'm kind of shooting here and there. Um, it's not something where like, I'm just like shooting it all at once. It's, it's like, it, it'll take months and months to kind of like put it together piecemeal, but it's just a, just a documentary. And, um, I'm also working on like two other things. They're just way too early to even talk about, but pre, pre, pre production. Yeah, kind exactly. Of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The kind of stuff that you'll sit, will sit on your IMDb page for years <laughs> before anyone knows what it's about. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, cool. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I'm glad that you've got a lot. You know, you got a lot of stuff on your plate um, to kind of keep you busy through this post-production 
stuff and completed stuff you have to do with Ramekin and help move you through that. Uh, you said um, the sci-fi movie you haven't started filming yet. This is, uh, have you done all, most of any, any of the filming for the Ramekin sequel? Um, we haven't done anything. Like, I'm not even done writing that one yet. Oh, but, okay. um, that's It's kind of like I can't move on that one just yet because I kind of have to see uh, what the audience is for the first one, kind of. Like, I have to see if I can parlay people digging the first one and like all that stuff into like me being able to have a bigger budget for the second one, you know, that, yeah, that kind right. of thing. Or like, sure. see if the distributors really jazzed about it and maybe wants to give me a little bit money for the second one and release that one as well, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's kind of like, I, I don't want to move on that one just yet. So I'm probably going to be doing other stuff before that, I would say. And also like, I, I totally blanked on, um, one of the projects that I can talk about, which is it's called bed and it's based on a novella that I wrote called bed where it's, a, it's just about a couple spending an entire day in bed together. Um, and it's kind of like a kind of a one act play type movie, um, okay. which I'll be starring in with uh, another actress um, named Chloe Castiglione. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's like a non genre thing that's it's closer in line to my first film shredder where it's just kind of a um stripped down kind of drama thing um Mm. but yeah that's that's one that like we're in we're rehearsing it right now and we'll shoot when we're done rehearsing so that that or the date one will be um the next thing i would say it's like it's neck and neck as far as like which one i'll end up shooting first okay cool uh, so, um, I'm like, I've got like a notepad document on here with like all the like topics I wanted to touch on. I'm honored. I'm like, <laughs> that I'm like slowly shrinking as I'm like get removing stuff that has been covered. And, uh, the one thing, um, so I, regardless of like how familiar you are, you are with my show, uh, something that I'm kind of that like got me to create the, the the podcast and and get me to really what I use kind of to to kind of incentivize myself to continue to talk about movies in in various ways I I for the last seven a little more than seven years now I've been keeping a, a spreadsheet that includes every movie I've ever seen uh, and then it's it's kind of just taken over my entire life from that point on <laughs> it's it, it's truly monstrous. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, you can, it's, it's, it's what I think and, and what I really am, am super honored about with this particular interview that we're doing is you are, as far as I'm aware, uh, the only person I've ever talked to that whose name is on this spreadsheet in oh, any yeah? capacity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and maybe that will awesome. change. Maybe somebody I knew before will eventually end up on it for one reason or another. But as of right now, it is just you. Uh, you know, there's an entire page devoted to directors, an entire page devoted to writers. Uh, so so Ramekin puts you on both of those pages. And that is something that I'm super, I don't know, it makes me super giddy to like think about that. And just it feels like I, I've, it's a significant step for myself in that way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I'm I'm hopeful 
that I will continue to find uh, to, to see more of your stuff and I can add more uh, uh, credits to your name on here and expand upon it further and further. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you the uh, I'll send you the first two films so you can check those out too. Awesome! Awesome! I would love to love to take a look. Uh, I, I I was like I looked for them for a while and then you know they're pretty much only on Amazon as DVDs I think. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to keep the uh, the dying media alive. <laughs> I, I love physical media, <laughs> but um, it, yeah. it's really honestly like I just haven't gotten around to putting them on Amazon Prime just yet, but. I definitely will be doing that at some point soon, um, but I have I have digital screeners. I'll just send you privately that you can awesome. check out of them. That's great. Uh, and then um, I guess one other thing that I, I kind of wanted to bring up is, uh, you know, I, I think I kind of mentioned earlier the way you used uh, the sound of of the ramekin in the movie and and how that played such an integral part in, in creating the identity of the bowl itself mm. and i think that uh you know i think a lot of people think associate uh really good sound design and mixing and editing with horror movies um i would particularly cite like a quiet place as a movie that does this really well i still and i i can't wait to see that film i'm really excited about the premise and excited about what i've heard about it so i, I i'm going to be seeing that soon i can't wait oh good i i loved it i thought it was great mm. uh i think um, there's a lot, a lot going on in the movie, and, and I, I'm a, I think you'll really enjoy it. But John Krasinski, who stars in it, directed it, uh, one is credited as one of the writers. You know, I, I've seen some of his interviews. He's not a big horror fan. You know, he doesn't like to watch horror movies. And I thought, and you know, so he he kind of got attracted to the project for a, a diff, completely different reasons than you know it's scary mm. and um if i'm not mistaken i think what you you mentioned that that was kind of a similar thing with you for ramekin am i am i getting that yeah, right? yeah i mean i mean i'm a big i'm a horror guy for sure like i i love horror films um if i had to pick like a genre to like kind of ride or die with like i, <laughs> I would pick i would just pick horror just because like why not like you know it's a you get comedy you get drama you get you get you mm-hmm. can get everything in a horror movie, and there are so many different types of horror movies. You know, it's not all just jump scares and like uh, you know stuff like that. Like there's there's so much different horror um, from from like the early Universal monsters stuff all the way to like uh, you know current stuff or whatever. Um, right. There's something for everybody, and uh, the way I came into Ramekin was like. You know, I was watching a ton of like old episodes of the Goosebumps TV series just on Netflix um, with my girlfriend. And like um, it, it made me realize that like, you know, that's that's a like uh, like non scary horror is horror, too. And like that's kind of like an untapped area. So like that's what I was trying to do with Ramekin. We're like potentially somebody could watch ramekin and be scared you know like you never know what scares somebody else like it could be a scary movie for them but like i never intended it as like you know a scary horror movie i don't think a horror movie has to be scary i think horror is about something else than than scares i think that to call horror movies uh you know oh those are those movies that scare you like that's kind of like calling all all amusement park rides roller coasters like there's 
There's yeah. teacups and there's like, you know, the little boats that you go around on like the shallow pond in or whatever. Like there's so much different stuff you can do at an amusement park. It's not all just roller coasters, but like people talk about horror movies like it's all roller coasters. So, yeah, Ramekin is like, you know, it's suitable for kids or adults. There's nothing in there where like a kid can't see it. And that was very much by design. I wanted to, you know, be inspiring to, you know, grownups that are making films like myself, but also to like kids. Like I want them to see that, like, they're closer to making a film than they thought they were. You know, a lot yeah. of kids movies are like 50 or 60 million dollar, you know, animated whatevers or big things with like lots of CGI you know, and it kind of it's like you're showing off to the kid. It's like a big expensive toy, whereas the kid would be happy just playing with the cardboard box it came in. Um, exactly. So Ramekin's more in line with like a cardboard box. It's just really <laughs> fun to play in. Um, right. And I think that's important because if you want if you want a new crop of filmmakers, if you want a new generation of, uh, you know, kids to get interested in film, they can't just be watching like Pixar stuff or like, um, you know, big budget uh, kids movies. Like they kind of need to see something that's like that makes them realize that they can do it, too. So like every every effect, every thing, every single thing that I do in Ramekin, uh, a child could also conceivably do, you know, obviously maybe not to the same uh degree of skill or whatever just because they don't have as much experience or you know they're they just don't have like the the knowledge of lenses or whatever but there's nothing i technically that i do that a kid couldn't do it's essentially like a a better looking version of like the kind of like horror movie a kid would make with their friends (laughs) like just in their grandma's apartment or whatever Mm. you know that's that's what i was going for um so yeah i i I feel like Ramekin, and I would love for Ramekin to be this. I would love for it to be like like the first film in a line of films that are like non-scary horror movies. Because I feel like with the horror genre for a while, it was like, how scary can we get? How tortury can we get? How gross can we get? How bloody can we get? Etc. And it's yeah. like, that's one direction, and that's fine, because you can make great films that way. There's no reason you can't. But I want to go in the direction of like, well, what if we just reject all of that? What if we what if we try and make horror movies with barely anything where like there's just it's just totally almost G rated, but like it's still horror. Like, what would that be? And so, you know, watching all those Goosebumps uh, episodes, like I kind of gained an, an appreciation for like um, not scaring people, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Like that, that's just like you can scare people without scaring them and you can, you can, you can tickle their, the back of their neck with like, without it being a thing where like you're putting them in any danger or whatever. Like I feel like safe horror, I would, I would classify it as safe, safe horror. horror. I, I like that. Yeah. Like that's that. the term I'm, I've been using with uh Ramekin where I would say, you know, it's it, it, especially when I like, say oh man i think you'd really like my film or whatever and they were like oh no i don't like really i don't like horror movies and i'm like no 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 it's safe horror it's a you know you're fine <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah. then they end up watching and they they really dig it but like you say horror movie and they think like you just want to throw them out a window or something like it's mm-hmm. they they're just they people that don't like horror they think it's all that or it's kind of like people that don't like westerns they think it's all a particular type of western they don't realize that like 
there's so many different types of westerns. There's spaghetti westerns. There's like there's there's everything in between. Yeah. You know, so with ev- within every genre, there's kind of something always for somebody who thinks they don't like that particular genre. Like there's mm-hmm. there's horror films for people who quote unquote don't like horror movies. There's comedies for people who hate you know comedies or drama. You know, like whatever your thing is, like there's a movie for you in the genre waiting for you. So right. So yeah, that's I, I want more safe horror. So hopefully like somebody who's listening to this is like, yeah, what about safe horror? What about like not scaring people? What about just, you know, you know, a little like inanimate object like running around and like it's fun, you know, like that's cool, too. So mm-hmm. I would put it in that category and I hope other people want to make stuff in that category as well. Yeah, that's, you know, I I. I at least offhand, I cannot think of another film that that sort of treads that same line the way Ramekin does, mm. and uh, Ramekin does it very well. I, Thank I you. would say, yeah. Um, and so, before before I before we go, uh, you, I, I'm guessing, you know, to, to sort of present this a scenario, if you meet somebody and they ask you what you do, I'm guessing you say you're a director or filmmaker, something like that. Yeah, I usually say, um, you know, I've made I made a couple films. I've written some books too, and um, yeah, I, that's kind of I I call myself like a filmmaker and like an author and a poet and whatever, um, you know. And, and for people that don't know, I'm actually I'm actually a poet. I'm not just using that like <laughs> metaphorically. I'm not being pretentious about it. Like I actually mm-hmm. do write poetry. Yeah, it's not like I'm saying like I'm a dreamer <laughs> or like I'm gonna you know like I. I'm an artist or, you know, like whatever, some sort of vague, like uh, ethereal artsy term. Like now I'm literally a poet. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm a filmmaker, a novelist, a poet, I would say. Yeah. So then uh, to that end, you know, you're making these movies. They don't cost a lot. But um, if things and, you know, you know, forbid that 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 this should happen. But if if things don't like really work out, like making movies, you know, if you continue to make if you if you follow through on the ones you got in the pipeline and if they're if they're not if the return on investment doesn't quite match the 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 investment itself you know is there any part of you that would you know kind of forsake this side of yourself or are you just like know what you know what i'm doing it if it if it's not lucrative whatever this situation i'm 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 all in well i think lucrative lucrative is kind of a vague term because like for me lucrative would be uh, sustainable yeah okay yeah sustainable is probably a better term uh sustainable would mean that i always have like a couple bucks to make a film um Mm -hmm. which you know it it can be hard sometimes because like sometimes you have an idea for something that's like oh man if i only if i had 10 grand i could make like the best indie film anybody's ever seen in this particular, you know, niche of whatever, you know, like you, you have these ideas that are just outside your grasp. It's like, I can't go on Indiegogo and raise 50 K overnight. Like some other people can, you know, for like a startup or like a product or whatever, or whatever it may be. Like it, I, that's just for whatever reason, that's where I'm at and that's whatever. Um, but you know, I, I'm always kind of like, like I'm like when I was a kid, I played a lot of music and I wrote a ton of songs and stuff. Um, and then I got into film and then that was that thing, too. And like 
I, I will always be doing stuff creatively. Um, you know, right now I'm focused on film and, and writing books or whatever, but for all I know, I could start painting or I could do, start doing something else. Like it's, it's kind of all the same thing to me at the end of the day. Like if you're creating something, if you're creating art, you're creating art and you can, if you can make a film, you can write a book. If you can write a book, you can paint a picture. If you can paint a picture, you can write a song. It's just about relearning, um, or rather learning what it is to create in a different medium. And then you realize, oh, it's 90% the same thing and 10%. It's just like a little bit different and you got to learn what the thing is to this other particular thing. Um, but like I would never, I would never stop making films because uh, like it just wasn't like like people weren't supporting it or whatever like I, if anything I would feel like it was more important that I keep going with it if mm-hmm. it wasn't working out because I, I would feel more like oh I know I'm not crazy so I'm hitting on <laughs> something that's really necessary you know it's like if I can look myself in the mirror and be like you're sane then and let's say like you know even if everybody hated what I was doing, but I knew I was sane, that would mm. be that would be fuel for me to keep doing it. I would say, because like if okay. you're if you're that sure, then you're you're sure that you're like, it, it it's kind of like the Gretzky quote. Um, there's a Gretzky quote that I love, Wayne Gretzky, um, that you don't go where the puck is, you go where the puck is going to be. Right. Um, so that would be a sign that like I was going where the puck is going to be rather than where it is. Is like if I was confident in my sanity and I was making stuff that just wasn't taking off or like people were hating arbitrarily or whatever, mm. like that would be a sign of like, oh shit, like I, I'm, I really need to be doing this like more than I even thought I was like that would be confirmation in a weird way. Whereas for some other people, they might be discouraged and then kind of silence themselves and just stop doing it um like for me i i think uh bad reaction or negative reaction or no reaction can kind of be the right reaction because it means that like it's it's good it's just that people aren't ready for it yet and not being ready means that one day they could be ready or if maybe in a hundred years like after you're dead or whatever you know at one point People will be ready um, if you're like I said if you're confident in your sanity and you 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 love what you're making then those that's like the recipe for like innovation I would say I, I think that's fantastic advice uh, you know I think that makes a lot of sense and uh, I hope that I hope that happens you know as far as your work is concerned I think that there's at least from from Ramekin I think there's a lot a lot of good stuff in that movie. And I think, uh, it, it, at the very least, it, at least, uh, it, it is, um, it is a premonition of things to come that are going to be equally, if not even more interesting and, uh, uh, satisfying of curiosities mm. to put it that way. Yeah. Uh, thank you, man. Awesome. Yeah. I really I, appreciate um, that. Yeah. So, you know, speak, you know, talking about, um, having the money to do stuff. Uh, I think everyone listening, if, if any of this resonated, I definitely go check out any of the things you've made, including Ramekin, uh, which they can support you in 
trying to get it distributed and get it to festivals so more people can see it and I think that would be a huge benefit to not just you and the film but you know for film you know as a thing more so even as well and uh, I will certainly have uh, a way for them to do that in the show notes for this episode awesome and yeah it's been I mean it's been really well received so far it's been probably better received than anything i've ever done we already won you know an award um we have like 10 really positive critical reviews uh on on imdb and everything and like we're we're getting it out there it's just very slow because we don't really have the funds we could put into it it's not like we're like tommy wiseau where we can afford to like put up a a billboard you know hollywood you know talking Mm -hmm. about the room or whatever for like six months or whatever we don't have like all that money like if we if we had a million dollars everybody would know about ramekin tomorrow you know but right. we don't we don't necessarily have that so it's so piecemeal like you know we get one critical review this week and then another one the next <laughs> week etc and we're just i'm always sending it out to places and festivals and stuff and like it it's a slow process so every little bit of money uh goes a long way and really helps yeah and uh i hope i hope some any of the listeners will really uh, jump at that opportunity because I think it's, it'll be rewarding for everybody involved. That's right. In my opinion. Yep. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Cody, thank you so much for doing this with me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks man. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say or promote or anything like that. Um, I would say also, you know, people can check it out on Twitter, twitter.com slash Ramekin Film. That's our handle on there. And, you know, just if you follow us, we'll follow you back. Like, we, we don't care about that stuff. But, you know, we, we're not all snobby with our Twitter followers. Like if and you can reach out to me on there and, you know, I'm, I'm friendly. I'll write back and, you know, hope to hear from y'all. Cool. Awesome. Uh, thanks again. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of your stuff. Thank you. Um, and, and good luck with the podcast. Thank and everything. you. Yeah. Thank you. It means a lot. Yep. Once again, I just want to thank Cody Clark for being able to come on this episode and uh, just kind of talk so, so uh, you know, frankly and openly about what he's doing and his, his work and everything he's got going on. It was a ton of fun uh, to learn so many different things. Uh, like I said earlier in the episode, you will be able to get to i mean he he gave you uh, ways to find his stuff and support him i will add a couple more of those ways in the show notes of today's episode if you are so inclined um and then if you would like to uh follow me and uh or get in touch with me in any way you can do that uh on twitter at circle of film or email circle of film at gmail.com uh, you can also head over to the website circle of to find all the past episodes, you can find a review I wrote for Ramekin over there, uh, which I can also link in the show notes of today's episode, and uh, much, much more. A lot of stuff on the website. And you can also uh, support me on or the show on patreon.com slash circle of film. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, She'll never leave me Even as she fades